Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning, church. How we doing? All right. Good, good. Man, 9 o'clock, everybody was snoozing, so I'm glad you guys got a little more energy than the night. No offense, 9 o'clock, if you're watching or listening to this. Uh, but, uh, but if you're new, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm a senior pastor here at, uh, at First Baptist Hanford. We're excited that you're, uh, you're with us today. And we only have uh, three more weeks, so this week and then two more uh, in our, our Exodus series. And by the time all is said and done, we would have walked through about almost five months through the book of Exodus. So it's been a, a good series, and we're excited to wrap it up and then push into something new. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, more next week. We are excited to have Jeff and the Costa Rica team back. Hopefully you, uh, you looked at some pictures on Facebook and kind of followed some of their story last week. But a, uh, another group that we're happy to have back um, is actually our, uh, our high school students went uh, to, uh, to Camp Sugar Pine last week. And so that was, uh, yeah, thanks for the round of applause. It's really exciting, everybody. Yeah, woo, all right, cool. So um, if, just in case you're curious, if you are ever wondering uh, or, or, or really desiring rather to feel old and out of touch, like if that is on your heart, I don't know why it would be on your heart, but if it is on your heart, uh, volunteer to both take and pick up high school students from camp. So I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I was a youth pastor for a long time, right? And somehow in the last three years, an entire new language has developed with high school students. So as I was driving them both there and back, man, I was just like dumbfounded and confused and intrigued all at the same time. Music slaps, apparently. Didn't know that, but that's the thing. Um, but, uh, but we've had a good week of people uh, returning who were either, uh, you know, overseas in Costa Rica um, or uh, for our high school students and all the things that they uh, were able to learn there. I know they had a, uh, a successful trip. But back to where we're going. We're going to be in Exodus 33 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open there. You can click open there to Exodus chapter 33. And like I said, we're, uh, we're beginning to kind of wind down um, the, uh, the book of Exodus. And last week, uh, we talked about Moses and Moses' uh, leadership abilities. That was chapter 32. And so chapter 33, we're actually going to look at Moses and his leadership, but we're going to look at has le- his leadership as it pertains to him following. Okay, so we're going to take a little bit of a different turn on it uh, on it this week. Anybody, uh, does anybody get Reader's Digest? Anybody still get Reader's Digest? Okay, yeah, a handful of you. Uh, my mom always got it. I distinctly remember that that was the for better or worse, the book that was in my mom and dad's bathroom. Um, and uh, so I remember reading, and so I was trying to figure out some sort of object lesson or how is it that we can talk about like following and that sort of thing. And so um, I was doing some research in an old Reader's Digest Um, It had a story from a real estate agent. This is what it said. It said, as a real estate agent, I spent six months showing homes to one couple. Obviously, this is an outdated (laughs) uh, story because nobody can uh, look for six months for a home. You have to look at one and blink and you have to purchase it at the same time. Um, But for six months, showing homes to one couple and at last I found two that they liked, but they couldn't decide which to buy. The wife and I returned to the second house, and she began wandering about for another look while I waited upstairs. Eventually, she told me that they would take the first home. I asked how she made her decision. 
I was standing in the family room, the woman explained, and I asked God to give me a sign. And right then and there, a plane came zooming over on its flight path to the airport, and I knew that this or that that wasn't the house for us. It's how it works, right? Like, it's just how it works. Man, you, got, you need a sign, you need something, like you need God's direction in your life, and all you have to say is say, God, give me a sign. And there's a plane that just flies over the top of your, it's never how it works, Right? All of us, we're all looking for signs oftentimes. Like, like, raise your hand. Have you been guilty of this? I've been guilty of this for sure. Like, God, just give me a sign. Okay, there's three honest people in here. Thank you. Okay, I got a big hand raised in the back. Okay, but God, just give me a sign to anything. Like, just tell me what it is that you're doing in my life. Give me a sign so I know that this is right. Give me an inkling as to what it is that you are doing. Put it in skywriting above my house. Whatever it is that you need to do, just give me a sign. Give me anything. Right, wouldn't that be awesome that any time we were faced with a decision that we would have just like this heavenly teleprompter going across the sky and, and sky riding. But it's interesting, you know, we don't often ask God for uh, clarity or God's direction in our life or anything like that when it comes to some of the smaller things in our life, right? Like, like when you woke up this morning and you were like, man, is it Cheerios or cornflakes? What do I go with? God, give me your will right now. Give me a sign. What could it be? Oh, there's no more Cheerios. Okay, thank you for the sign. Right? Like, we don't do that. Okay? We often look for signs from God from, from those big things, those big events that, that happen in our life. You know, you're looking for a new job, maybe. You're trying to decide if this is the job that you want to stay in, or your family maybe is having a difficult time, and God, just tell me what it is that I'm supposed to, supposed to do. Or maybe you want to start a family for the first time. You're like, God, just give me a sign. What is it that, that like, like, tell me what it is and where it is. Where should I go to school? You know, like in each instance, we want God to show us a sign. And any, any old sign will do, right? Even like in the midst of this past year and a half, like, man, we were like, God, just give us a sign. Like, what is it that we should be doing as a church right now? Because no one knows what we're supposed to do as a church anymore, right? We're like, hey, the last year and a half, everything's been flipped onto its head. And so God, just show us, like, tell us where it is that we're supposed to go. And Moses is no different. Right, so as anytime I'm reading the Bible, I always end up feeling better about myself just because of some of the characters who are in the Bible, right? I'm like, okay, they're human too. Awesome. Like I can, I can relate. We're, if God can use these guys, they can definitely use me as well. But Moses, the, Moses wants a sign. He wanted God to show him a sign. And so on one occasion, Moses, he actually, he got alone with God. He gets alone with God away from, from the rest of the Hebrew people to, to seek direction, Right? He, wanted, he wanted another d divine guidepost, an omen, a heavenly gesture of some kind. And it's not that Moses didn't have any indicators along the way, right? If you look back through the book of Exodus, and we've talked about most of these, he, Moses witnessed some rather remarkable uh, visual demonstrations from God, right? There was, a, there was a burning bush, there was a staff that became a snake, tree branches cleaned up polluted water as pillars of fire at night to lead them and pillar of smoke during the day to lead them, right? Like manna, bread literally falling from heaven every single morning. But, but now Moses, he wants further clarification. He wants, a, he wants a sign. Exodus 33, 12 to 13, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people but you've, you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you, 
and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. That message right there, teach me your ways, teach me your ways, show me your ways, that translate, it gets translated in a bunch of different ways. But what most people believe is it's not just, hey, teach me what it is that, that I'm supposed to do. He's asking God to show him. Give me a sign here. Moses asked God, teach me his ways. We want to be guided. Right? People want to be taught God's ways. People want to live for something that's bigger than themselves oftentimes. People want to be a part of something bigger. Like they want to know the path that we're supposed to take. We want to be shown the right way. People are hungry for guidance. People long for direction. No one wants to look like the, the fool who's just kind of wandering around aimlessly. The same way the Israelites are just wandering around in the desert crying out to God, show me the way, give me a sign. Just write it in the sky so I can see it. And in this instance, interestingly enough, Moses never gets a sign from God. God never writes a message to him in the sky. He never lays a blueprint down. Moses actually did something better. I'm going to get to it in just a second. But raise your hand if you've ever been to a corn maze. Any corn maze people in here? Yeah, okay. Raise your hand if you regret going to said corn maze. Okay, a couple of you. Okay, yeah. So if you haven't gone to a corn maze, do me a favor. Don't. You're literally just paying someone to get lost. It's a terrible, like for all of you out here who are going to it, it's a nightmare. You're like, okay, I guess I'm going to pay a whole lot of money to wander around in corn. You could do that across the street, like right over there. You could do it for free. You might make some people some mad, but you, could, you can do it. Okay, so we, last October, me and, me and my family, we went to a corn maze, um, and uh, it was with grandma and grandpa um, up, up near Merced, my mom and her, her husband. Um, and so we split into two groups. We split into, we had the older kids all wanted to go with grandma and grandpa, okay, because they're smart. They probably got like dessert as they were wandering in the corn maze, because what grandparents do, right? And so they're ready to go. They're in, like, we didn't see them again until the very end of the maze. Like, there was no, like, like they weren't timid about it. They were just like, corn maze, we're going to conquer it. We're going to go, right? Courageous, like, young warrior, here we go, right? And then Sarah and I, we had the younger two kids, okay? And so we had decided, hey, Colin, who was six at the time, he's our six-year-old, and Noah was four at the time, I believe. Um, and so, uh, so there was like a little map, and we're like, we'll give this to the six-year-old and see how this goes. So we just say, hey, bud, you, you kind of lead us. You direct us. Tell us where it is that you want to go. And so he starts out, and he's real timid, okay? This is just kind of his nature. He's real timid, and he's slowly walking, and he looks, and he looks, and he looks, and he hasn't got no clue where to go. He's like, maybe let's go this way. And so eventually, he just thinks that, I, don't, I mean, his little brain probably like, we're going to get lost. We're going to get stuck in this corn maze forever. Good news, we have food because it's corn maze. But outside of that, like, we're stuck. And so eventually he says, hey, Dad, Dad, can, can, you, can you lead us? Can you, can you tell us how to get out of this thing? And I said, don't ask me. Ask your mom, right, because I have no clue where I'm going anyway because I'm smarter than that. But he didn't, he didn't want guidance. Okay, he wanted a guide, he wanted somebody to go before him in that instance. Actually, same kid, different story, uh, Hanford Piranhas. Okay, we finished yesterday. Yes. Um, great season, but happy to be done with it. And so he is, he is literally as young as you can possibly be. 
to, uh, to be on the swim team that he's at. So like the cutoff date is June 1st. His birthday is May 31st. And so he is the youngest. Sarah feels guilty about it all the time. And a reminder, couldn't you just hold him in for a few more hours, babe? Apparently it doesn't work like that. And I'm insensitive because of it. Anyway, and so he's swimming up and he's never swam before. And so like I'm pumping him up. Hey man, let's go. Like, hey, we're really excited. Hop into the lane. Like this is your coach, all these different things. And he is terrified. You know how to swim. You can do this. Like you swim in the pool with grandma and grandpa. You swim in our pool. Like you know how to do this. And he is terrified. And so it wasn't until we got his older brother, his eight-year-old brother, and we said, hey, Colin, what if you swam in the same lane as Owen? Fine. Good. I could have given him guidance all day long. He didn't care about the guidance. What he needed in that instance was a guide. And this is the same thing that we see going on here with Moses, the same way oftentimes that we approach life, right? Going back to the corn maze, some of us are ambitious. We're going to jump in and we're not going to think about anything else. We're just going to go. We're just going to do it. And then we forget that, hey, we should probably talk to God maybe a little bit about this. And then we pay our penance for that later. And then others of us are more timid. We want to toe the waters a little bit. Right, take calculated risks rather than just jumping all the way in. And then because of that, we move maybe a little bit too slowly. But we're looking for God to, to guide us. We want someone to show us the way. Deep in our hearts, it's, it's a guide more than guidance that even the Israelites wanted. So we see the same thing happen here, like I said, with Moses. The thing that was better, God offered Moses his presence didn't just tell him what to do. He said, hey, I'm going to go with you. God replies to Moses' prayer request in Exodus 33:14. It says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, we quote this verse a lot. This is a famous verse. I will give you rest, peace. But, but God personally led Moses and he led the entire nation of Israel. God offered something better than guidance. God offered in this instance to be their guide. He promised to accompany them. He promised to be with him. Right? He's not just some God. He wasn't then, nor is he now some God who just lived far away, floating on a cloud in Birkenstocks and a long beard or anything like that. Okay? He was personal. He was intimate. He was with them. God wasn't going to provide handwriting in the sky, but he would offer literally his, his hand to Moses and his people and walk with them side by side, friend with friend. And so while the Bible it never uses the actual word guidance, it does speak of a guide over and over and over again. We may, we may seek guidance, but, but God provides something better. God provides himself. On this side of the resurrection, Right? Since Christ was resurrected, they sent a helper, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, to take up residence inside each and, every was it, each and every one of us. So when we think of God, God is not some distant God. If you're a follower of Christ, he has literally taken up residence inside of you. He is our guide. So think about it. Which would you prefer? Go back all the way back to kindergarten, okay? Think about, think about kindergarten, maybe the backpack that you were wearing. Maybe you're walking a, a sweet Jansport or Power Rangers were in style back then. I don't know where you were at in your backpack game, but think all the way back to kindergarten, okay? And that picture that we all took next to some big tree every single year. 
And so on your first day of kindergarten, you walked in and you got to the office and your parents were like, later. And they just like abandoned you and you had no clue. You had no older sibling. You had no clue what it was you were supposed to do. Or parents, maybe they were a little bit kinder. They're like, okay, this is how you get to your classroom. You're going to go through those gates, take about 20 steps. You're going to turn left after you get there. Remember, we're kindergarten here. After you get there, you're going to take a right and once you get to your right, your, your room is 103B. Don't go into 103A. That's the teacher's lounge. That's weird. Go to 103B, and that's where your teacher's going to be. I know she's a stranger. You've never met her. You'll be fine. Go. And some of us were raised that way. You're like, that sounds like my experience. I'm sorry. But the preference would probably be on the first day of school, your first day of kindergarten, never having experienced before for you to be geared up in your, in your Power Ranger backpack and walking onto campus with mom or dad or both next to you. And then walking and saying, all right, bud, hey, once you get here, this is the front entrance. We're going to keep walking. Okay, and then see this, see this water fountain right here? When you see this water fountain, you're going to go in this direction. Come with me. I'll show you. And you go to the water fountain and you say, okay, now see these lockers right here? We're going to turn again here and your room is going to be right here. This is Mrs. Macias. She's your kindergarten teacher. You're going to learn a whole bunch of things about uh, moths and butterflies. That was just my experience. And then the next day, you know how to do it because you didn't just have somebody telling you how to do it. You had somebody guiding you and showing you how it is that you're supposed to do it. This same exact thing literally happened to me when I was in college. A little embarrassing. It wasn't my mom and dad, though. It was my friend Andy. I went back to community college my second year of college. I was up at Chico State, went to Merced College my second year. Had no context for anything. And so I had my class schedule that I had printed out. And I was like, I don't know where anything is. So I called my friend Andy. I was like, hey, Andy, can you show me around the college campus? He was like, yeah, man, no problem. So we walked around as I was like a 20-year-old student with a guide showing me where it was I was supposed to go, a guide rather than guidance, right? Guidance for, for us who call Jesus our Savior comes from this ongoing relationship that we have with God. It comes from this very real relationship that we have with his spirit who, like I said, has taken up residence in us. That he wants us to know him intimately, deeply, and being guided by him is part of that relationship. Because here's the thing about signs. Signs are temporary. Signs are going to help you for a few minutes. But then what happens when you have another decision to make? You ask for what? Another sign. And another sign. And at that point, God just becomes a, a magic genie for you, telling you which direction it is that you're supposed to go rather than you having a relationship with him to be able to understand his will. And signs can be misinterpreted, misread. They can, be, they can be not seen at all. God wants to lead us every single step of our journey, not just in those big details. And he does it best by, by walking with us and being in relationship with us. Yes, one of the big questions is like that we always get, how do I know what the will of God is, right? Anybody ever like, what's the will of God? I would love to know what the will of God is. Okay, it's pretty hard to know the will of somebody if you never spend any time with that person. That relationship has to be a real relationship. You have to be listening to the spirit of God to know what it is the will, the, what the will, uh, his will is for your life. In the same way, like, guys, have you ever asked your wife, hey, what do you want for dinner? And she said, I don't know. No, 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 better. Not I don't know. I don't care. 
right? Anybody ask? Yeah, that's happened once or twice. And you're smart enough to know that that statement is a bold-faced lie. There's no way that that is not true, okay? Or that that is true. They simply don't care. Like, it is a, it is a dumb husband who says, sweet, I'm going to go order whatever I want. Like, that is not a husband who knows the will of his wife, Right? So if you're smart and you have a good relationship with your spouse, which I hope you would, you would probably hopefully understand the will of your spouse. So when she says, I do not care, your thoughts should be, okay, what are her top three restaurants? And then you would go to one of those three. Or pro move, say, honey, I surprised you with dinner. Guess where we're going tonight? And the first thing she tells you, that's where you take her. Right? <laughs> Use that. Anyway. But in order to know the will of somebody, like you have to have a relationship with that person. In the same way that you want to know where your wife wants to eat, you need to have a relationship with your wife to know her will. You have to have a relationship with God and with his spirit to know what his will is. And, and it was this, this presence, this relationship that Moses experienced with God that one of the most telling indicators of Moses' life is found in Exodus 33:11, where it says, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. Just as a man speaks with his friend. This, this verse speaks to the reality and the depth of communion between Moses and God. This is very real. Moses was God's friend. Not because Moses was perfect and he had his life together and was like, man, Moses and God were on the same playing field. Quite the opposite. And Moses wasn't overly gifted and it wasn't like they both really liked talking about sports or anything like that so they got along and they were buddies. Right? No one could drive a wedge between them. Moses never knew where he was going with God. He just trusted God to guide him in the direction that he was going. That's what was happening. And God didn't always provide a signpost. There wasn't always a pillar of fire. A lot of the story is just the Israelites wandering. And that would be incredibly, incredibly difficult. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because Moses knew with whom he was going. That's all that mattered. It didn't matter where. It mattered with whom. So Moses, he's a real person. He had real encounters with a real God. And this relationship provided him with the direction and the guidance that he needed, the guidance he desired. If we want to know God's will, we have to get to know God. The guidance hinges on the relationship. And the fun part is if we seek the guide actually more than the guidance, we might actually see the sign we're looking for it's probably not the sign you're personally looking for, but you might find that sign. And as we see that, even more than that, in this relationship, we receive some incredible benefits to that. And we've grown accustomed to a lot of those benefits. We see them, and as a matter of fact, we expect them. Because God's presence accompanies us, we have some pretty incredible benefits, better than your 401k, your retirement plan, your HMO, all of those different things. The benefit package of a relationship with God is way better. Some of them are, we have a companion. Verse 14 tells us that. It says, my presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. You guys remember that hymn? It's a famous one. 
and I couldn't remember the name for a service, and I got in trouble. In the garden, right? All of you are like, yeah, you did get in trouble. In the garden is the hymn. This is my grandma's favorite. I actually distinctly remember my grandma's voice singing that hymn as we were in church together. But here's part of the most, most famous part of that hymn. It says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Right? Some of you guys get chills as I said it. You're welcome. I wasn't going to sing it because you guys would have been really mad at me. Okay, but, but I think there's a lot of truth to this. This idea that, that, that me and God, us and God, as we have a relationship with him, that we come to know his will. And regardless of our condition, regardless of our circumstance, God is with us. Our situations don't change God. Hear that. Our situations don't change God. He is still with us. And there's a story about a lady named Gladys Aylward. And she was a missionary and she was, she was having this harrowing kind of, there's a harrowing journey out of a war-torn Yangchen, China, right during the communist takeover. Okay, and she thought that, that she was going to die. Apparently no hope of reaching safety or anything like that. And a 13-year-old girl tried to comfort her. This is what kind of the conversation went, at least the way it's told now. She said, don't forget what you told us about Moses in the wilderness. Talking about God's kind of presence in her life and that sort of thing. To which Gladys replied, yes, my dear, but I'm not Moses. And we sit in that for a second. And oftentimes we feel that of like these characters, these stories in the Bible, man, these stories, man, they're not us. Like this is this massive epic adventure that we're going through in the book of Exodus. Like this is crazy. There's no way I could ever do the things that Moses did. But the interesting thing is the conversation doesn't stop there. So while she said, yes, my dear, but I'm not Moses, the young girl replied to her, she said, yes, but God is still God. Whew. Right, so while we think, hey, I'm not him, I'm not that guy, like I can't, that story isn't going to be true of my life. There's no way that I can be that obedient to God. There's no way I'm going to be, understand, be able to understand his will that, will that well. We have to go back to, hey, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of who you think you are, it doesn't change God. God is still God. And I think there's comfort in that. Because regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, that's who he is. God is still God, regardless of your family situation. God is still God, regardless of your work life. God is still God, regardless of your state of marriage, regardless of your finances, regardless of whatever it is that you need to fill in the blank with today, God is still God, period. And it's bigger than him just being like your companion, though, like your chum, Right, like scripture says that because of this friendship that we will experience rest. That's back in verse 14. He says, and I will give you rest. And the rest it's talking about here, it's not specifically talking about like this idea of a, of a day off or a Sabbath rest or anything like that. It's talking about like while you are on the journey, I will give you rest. I will give you a, a breather. It's a rest that kind of reaches to the core 
of their being, of the Israelites' being. It's not like, like I said, a paid day off or a vacation or a guaranteed holiday or anything like that. It's not like a cessation of activity or struggle or journey or anything like that. It's rest that is given during the journey. And you guys all know that you function better as you sleep correctly, right? Like Netflix, Netflix is the worst thing for decision-making in the history of man because it always asks you, are you still watching? And the answer is always yes, right? And we lose rest because but rest, it provides the clarity that shows us where to go. It gives us the, the physical and emotional endurance to make correct judgments. It's the solitude that kind of gives us wisdom. It's the necessary tools for finding God's way. That's what rest does for us. Think about it in contrast. You guys remember when, I know a lot of you guys are, are parents in here. You guys remember when you had newborns at home? Some of you, it's been longer than others. And now you have to listen to your kids complain about their newborns. Okay, but man, we had, we had newborns in our house for a really long time. Really long time. But our last one specifically, Noah, cute kid. I mean, great kid. And for the first three months of his life, he slept like a champ. We were like, let's go, fifth kid. We're too tired to do this anyway. Like, perfect. Thank you for sleeping, child. And then something crazy happened. I learned about something, right? I thought I had heard it all. You know, four kids, all that stuff. Fifth kid, I learned about a thing called a four-month sleep regression. Have any of you guys heard of this before? Look it up. It's some really fun reading. Angry moms write about it all the time. Because apparently what happens is sometime around four months, your kid forgets how to sleep. And so they flip their schedule completely where they're like, hey, you got stuff to do during the day? Sweet. Here's the entire day to do stuff. But just so you know, I'm not going to let you sleep at all at night. So we had two months of absolute terror from our youngest child. From month four to month six, we got zero rest. And I remember days thinking as I was driving into work, like, I wonder if anybody will notice if I just take a nap here today. Like my ability to, to make good decisions, mine and Sarah's ability to make good decisions, they were always knee-jerk, over-emotional reactions to things that really didn't deserve that reaction. But because we were so dead on sleep, because we had gotten no rest, that's where we were at. And that happens in our spiritual lives too. Man, we kind of tend to knee-jerk our way through our relationship with God if we aren't finding the rest that we're supposed to be finding in that companion. If we're not taking opportunities to withdraw, if we're not taking opportunities to spend time in his word, if we're not taking opportunities to spend time in prayer with his spirit, like if we aren't taking those opportunities, our reactions are going to be overly emotive and they're not going to be healthy. It's this calmness and, and security that really needs to come through as we walk with God. You guys remember the, the Challenger space shuttle explosion? I think it was back in 1987, I want to say, but I might be wrong. Okay? I was real young. I was about two when this happened, so I don't remember it. But as I've read and that sort of thing, um, I know that this is one of those experiences that you remember where you were when you found out the Challenger had exploded. Right, it's very similar to me with, with 9-11, I'm sure with you guys with 9-11, same with the Kennedy assassination, that type of big event that just really sits heavy in the hearts of a lot of people. 
But in that disaster, there were key NASA officials. They made the decision to go ahead with the launch after they worked for 20 hours straight on two hours of sleep. This came out later on, and I'm not saying that if they just would have taken a nap that that this wouldn't have happened, but what I am saying is that rest is really, really important, and maybe someone would have noticed something should they have gotten the rest that they needed, so their error in judgment could have cost the lives of seven astronauts and nearly killed the U.S. space program as well. Rest is important, and God being your guide and offering that to you is paramount. Because we've all been there. We've all been there making decisions after you've gotten rest versus when you've slept. You're able to better comprehend your situation so you can make good decisions rather than knee-jerk and emotive ones. And then according to these verses, one of the other things that we benefit from being led by God is being distinguishable. Exodus 33, 15 and 16, it says, Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will you distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I suppose that at some point we, we would, as we are Christians, if we're being honest about our relationship with God and we want to grow in our relationship with, with God, that we should all desire to be distinguishable, set apart from the rest of society. Okay, scripture would call that holy or becoming more holy. And it's not because of us. It's not because that we're going to be more moral and I'm going to hold more doors open for people. And so because of that, my holiness meter ticks up. That's not what this is talking about here. It says that God's, God's presence is what distinguishes us from other people. So back then, we're talking about the book of Exodus. That's, that's God's presence. And now today, on the other side of the resurrection, God's presence in our life is the Holy Spirit. That Spirit should distinguish us from other people. It should distinguish us from the rest of society. And so because of God's presence, we are a holy people. Holy means set apart. It means distinct. And so when we come into his presence, we're, we're on holy ground. And so we set aside one day a week, the Sabbath, right, as, as a holy day. But the main part of this text isn't that, that we would do things better. The main part of this text is that we would become more moral or, or we, would, we would rest more or we would do any of these things. The main point of this text is that because of the presence of God, we're holy people, That's what this text is talking about. And like I said, we're not holy because of anything that we have done. We are different, though, because God's presence accompanies us. We're not different because of what we do, but we are different because of what God has done and will do through us. A holy person takes God's presence very, very seriously. Think about it for a second. If you were consciously aware of God's presence in your life, consciously aware of it, like you could feel him sitting behind you all the time, you would probably act a little bit different. You would probably talk a little bit different, right? It'd be kind of like for those of you guys who who golf, that you might act a little bit different on the golf course if, I don't know, a pastor came with you. Just saying, 
Your score would be more honest. You would have gotten a lot worse at golf. Right? Or, or, or maybe you're young and, and you're dating somebody. Like, you might act a little bit different if your mom is the one who drove you on the date. Or you watched a rated R movie with your grandma. Right? Like, like you would probably be more aware of the things that you're doing and saying and acting like. Like, you would be way more aware of that. And that's what we're called to understand as we have God's presence in our life, as his spirit lives inside of us. That we would act differently, that we would talk differently, that we would love differently, that we would serve differently. 1 Peter 1.17 says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. So again, so because God is God, live out your time as foreigners here, set apart, distinct, different, in reverent fear, knowing that God's presence is with you. And so because of that, you should act differently. You should be different because of God's presence. It calls us to stand out from the crowd, to be distinct, to be separate, to be unusual. He calls us to be different, and we are different because of his presence. And not only do we get to experience his presence, not only do we know him, but here's the cool part. He knows each and every one of you by name. It says that in Exodus 33, 17. It said, the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you've asked for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. We are known by God. He knows us by name. Our encounter with God is an intimate experience. That's why so many of you, when you came to faith, you remember where you were. You remember the sights and the smells and the conversation and the people who were around you oftentimes. It can be an intimate experience. We come to know him and he comes to know us. Can you imagine the the significance that that gives to us? The creator of the universe calls us by name. And so here's the interesting thing about the signs of God, because really, if you look all around, the signs of God are all around us all the time. And we talk about him all the time. We talk about his glory. We talk about his goodness. We talk about his grace. Those are on display for people to see through his believers. But most often, as God is leading us, we, we see these kind of signs afterwards, Have you guys experienced this? Because this is oftentimes how I see God working. It's not how he's going to work, it's how he has worked. And there's a small distinguishing, you know, sentiment there, but but it's true. It's kind of like looking in the rear view mirror of your lives. We see how, how God has shown up, right, performing his work. We look back seeing how God caused maybe a a bad situation to work out for our good. We see an event play out and say only God could have done something like that. Right, even you see as like an unfolding series of events and we know that these pieces couldn't have been orchestrated only by God though. And we look at those things and they're they're undeserved and they're unmerited, but but it's God working. It's God moving. We think, oh man, if I only... If I could just stay on the straight and narrow, hardly any of us ever stay on the straight and narrow, but God gets us to where he wants us to be, kind of like switchbacks on a mountain. You can say, oh wait, I saw how God worked there. Look where I am now. I saw how God worked there. Look where I am now. 
See, Moses, he wanted to see God's glory, though. He wanted to see a sign. And so God was like, hey, you see signs all the time. My goodness, you see my grace. You see these things that are all around you. But if you want a visible appearance, if you want the theological word, a theophany, to see God do the following, Exodus 31, 21 to 23, it says, here is a place near me. This is God talking to Moses. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Doesn't it seem like God is like, like Moses is like a mouse in this instance, and God is just going to like grab him by the nape of the neck and drop him into a crevice and cover him? Right, sorry, anytime I read that, that's what I think. But I cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back but my face will not be seen. So Moses, he did as he was instructed, and he he got into the crevice of the rock, and God passed by, and there was a a visible appearance this time in, in human form, and Moses saw him, but Moses didn't see his face. Moses saw his back because Moses, or because God went before him. God was in front of him. Think about all the times that you've had somebody guide you, whether it be through Disneyland or through kindergarten as your parents were taking you somewhere or as my son Colin followed his eight-year-old brother to his lane. He wasn't looking at his face. He was looking at his back because they were going before him. And so when we're led by God, we don't always see his face. We don't anticipate, oh, I bet God is going to do this for the most part. I think there are spiritual gifts where indeed that is happening and that does happen. But for most of us who don't share that spiritual gift, we see where God has been. We see his back and we get the opportunity to follow him. The good news is, is that God doesn't stop going before us in the Old Testament. It doesn't stop when when we stop seeing theophanies. It doesn't stop with, with anything like that. We get to see God literally go before his people as we read the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and it's detailed in the remainder of the New Testament as we hear and listen to the Gospel. That God literally sent his son to go before us, to be our guide as we get the opportunity to encounter salvation forever. That Jesus literally paved the way for it. That he didn't just talk about it, he literally showed us how to live a holy life, but then beyond that, he's like, hey, I'm gonna go one step further. I'm actually going to be your guide in such a way that I'm gonna show you what is expected so I can show you my grace afterwards as well. So let me show you what's expected. So he started his ministry about the age 30, walked around on this earth for about 33 years, did a whole bunch of incredible things, had a whole bunch of leaders, or or had a whole bunch of disciples rally to him, had a whole bunch of people hate him simply for speaking the truth. And then at age 33, they finally decided, hey, this guy is dangerous, we're gonna kill him. And so at that point, Jesus willingly lays down his life. He gets nailed to a cross and all of our sin, everything that we have ever done, Jesus went before us to show us, hey, I love you. 
And not only do I love you, this is how you're expected to love other people as well. And so as he was sitting there on a cross, he eventually died and then was buried. And then three days later, he rose again and ascended to be with God the Father. He, he literally went before us as our guide in so many different ways. So we have God doing it for us in the Old Testament as our guide. We have Jesus in the Gospels being our guide. And now we get the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit in our life to be our guide. God wants to be our guide. He doesn't just want to give us guidance. He wants to go before us. That's the reality of the gospel, that God loves you enough to do all of these things for you, past, present, and future. He's got a deep love for you so much so that, like I said, his son was sent and died on a cross. If you have ever sinned in your life, Jesus died for you. If you have ever sinned in your life, Jesus died for you so you didn't have to pay for your own sins. He did it for us. He bled and he died. He went before you. I don't care if you have been saying yes to God and his guidance for 80 years. We need to continue to say yes to God being our guide today. Every single day. We need to continue to recognize that God went before Moses, Jesus went before us, and the Holy Spirit continues to pave the way for us today. And so today, if you're in a spot and you recognize that, that you have maybe not been, been recognizing Jesus as, as going in front of you, if that's you, and like I said, I don't care how long it's been that you said yes to God for the first time. Maybe you've been distracted because of issues that you have in your life or a hard season maybe that you're walking through. Maybe it's a great season and because the season's been so awesome that you're distracted by the goodness. I don't know. But God deserves the recognition of being the guide in your life and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond. So why don't you bow your heads and let's pray as we close service. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for loving us. So much that, that you wouldn't just offer us instructions and you did that well. That you didn't just offer us your word in the Bible. You also offered companionship. You offered to be our guide. You offered your presence in our lives. That you're not some distant and foreign God. That you love us enough to be present. So God, I pray today that just, just right now we would think about the things in our lives that are distracting us from that. That for just a second, we would take a second and pause and think about the distractions that we may have in our lives right now that are keeping us from you being our guide. And Father, I pray that we would, we would take those distractions and we would just cast them down at your feet and say, God, I'm sorry for that. God, you're the most important thing in my life. You're the most important person in my life that nothing comes before you.
And then in the same way that we, we close every service, but, but I want to open it up to everybody with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. That if this was you today, that you said, hey, I'm distracted and I'm not allowing God to guide me. I'm not allowing God to, to lead me in the way that he is supposed to be leading me and guiding me. If that's you, I would ask that you pray along with us as well as we do the, the ABCs. And maybe you're brand new to all of this. Maybe you've never yet said yes to God. And you've been trying this, this way of maybe guidance rather than having a guide And so if that's you today, I would ask that you would just pray along with me as well and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I admit that I've been distracted by that. I've been distracted. Maybe it's from my sin or maybe my sin is simply my distraction. But God, remove that from me because B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me to take care of that sin so I, can, so I can rest in you and see that I would choose to follow you every single day, whether this is day one or if this is day 5,000. I choose to follow you. So Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.